Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today, we are here with Vincent Lowe, the head of design capability at REA Group. Uh, we're really excited to have you here to talk about something that needs maybe a little more attention and visibility, which is how do we make invisible work of ops more visible and more valued? So we're here today to hopefully uh, help do that. So thanks so much, Vincent, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. We've got JH here too. Yeah, this is not a topic I've thought a ton about, but then you hear it and you're like, oh, of course, like when it's operation stuff, when it doesn't work, everyone sees it and complains. But when it's working seamlessly, it's just kind of magic that happens, right? So it, uh, it makes a lot of sense <laughs> upon a little reflection. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think I've made a career out of it. So <laughs> sometimes it's important to shine a light on things that people don't un understand or recognize. And a lot of it has to do with showing value. Mm -hmm. People don't mm -hmm. recognize it or see it until they value it. It is one of the things you learn when you've worked in a startup or two is like the secret of every startup is an operations team. It's not just code making things happen, right? So Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like I've, I've been in a couple of startups myself and to tell the truth, the CEO is involved in ops, right? It, the team mm -hmm. is so small. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Everything's ops. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, right. Yeah, totally. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay, great. So, you know, we've done a couple of episodes on research ops. Research ops is really hot right now, which we love. But what are we talking about when we talk about research ops? What's your sort of definition? What do you think about? Yeah, maybe a quick intro, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So for those that don't know, I'm also part of the research ops community. And I'm also on the directors, um, board of directors in the research ops community. It's been running for over four years now. We've got over 13,000 oh. community members, still growing, still amazes me. How today. many research officers are there in the world? I feel like it's mostly researchers do, trying to do ops, right? Uh -huh, yeah, right? Uh -huh. Because yeah. they don't have ops. And I think that's yeah. that's where I'm, I'm going to talk about shining a light on the yeah. invisible work yeah. that researchers do, right? But I would say mostly people that does research, doesn't have to be researchers. It could be designers, could be product managers, people that are passionate about doing research right. So I feel like um, one of the things that the research ops communities try to do is really shine a light on the people, the mechanisms, the strategies that set research in motion. Right. So what that means is um, what are the knowledge that's emerging at, and to work at scale? And what are those scales of operations that kind of need the skills and attention from an organizational memory perspective? Like how do things get done? How does people remember doing those things? And then collectively, how do we build capability in this profession and part of the industry of research? So yeah, it's been exciting to be part of it. So research ops has you know, being really realized by this community and kind of defined by this community uh, when we did the first project, what is research ops, right? And out of it came a lot of things. We had a mapping, we have definition of skill sets, but one of the most important things that, um, you know, Emma Bolton helped us distilled is our eight pillars, right, of research ops. They covered, I would say, the key pillars. I there's always going to be new things coming out and emergent. But that really shines a light on what are the key areas that we need to kind of define and work towards. Is that the big like mind map thing I've seen where it has like all yes. the different branches? In the, in the yeah, I was just this, yeah, yeah. I was sharing this with my team recently. So we should uh, we should put that in the show notes. It's uh For it's, sure. it's one of those things that's very exhaustive when you actually really like the way that community did pull that together and you go through and dig at it. It's there's so much in there that you wouldn't think of on your own without um yeah, seeing yeah, the detail and the yeah. thought. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's part of the ways that we're making the communities making things visible. I think most of the 
biggest thing that's invisible is the network effect. Mm. If you don't have this, you don't have that. You don't have that, you don't have this, right? Showing those connections is vis- is visibility as well. So I feel, I feel like the relationships are invisible. Do you- that's really interesting. So I was going to say, it feels like there's so much to do with research ops, which is one of the takeaways of this mind map. And so I guess a couple of things could happen. One would be you aren't doing some of the things and maybe you should be. That's not great. Or you don't have the people to do them well. You're doing them, you're not doing them well. And you were just talking about how they're they're interconnected. So when things are interconnected like that and you can't do everything all at once, how do you figure out where to start so the whole thing doesn't collapse? Yeah. I think one of the biggest things to understand is understand how others do it first. That's where the community comes in. That's what this project helps to highlight. Especially if you're a researcher of one, we talk to a lot of people that are researchers of one in organizations, yeah? They don't know where to start, right? They're operating by themselves. They're in a certain silo or within a part of the organization that's not getting the collaboration or the connection they need, right? So by showing, I would say, the overall view first, how do you slightly, slowly build that up, right? Connecting with people ultimately is your first step right? Is there a design ops team? Is there a DevOps team? Is there an operational team within the organization? Talk to HR, right? Talk to finance, because a lot of the research isn't just about research, it's about setting things up, right? And that's ops, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you get funding to get the right incentives for the right people to get you, get people into the session to do the research, right? That's a very first step. And if you don't have the right incentives, you're not going to have the right people that, you know, fairly and, you know, from an equality perspective, um, we value the time in the research, right? So but those are the bare basics we want to get right. I was going to kind of poke in that further. Is So you mentioned in the community, there's a lot of researchers who are doing ops kind of out of necessity, and they've realized that there's some things that they need to streamline and, and scale up. Do you see, like the way you just described that, like is there kind of a pattern or commonality of a researcher realizes they need more help with recruiting and incentive payments, and then they go into this thing? Like, Is there kind of a journey they go on, or is it very highly unique and like, you know, contextual on the company and, and all that. I think that's why the, the mapping helps because it's not a linear connection, right? Mm-hmm. It's a web of things, right? So you could go around a, a, like a really multiple, multiple steps to get to the same point or directly to the same point, right? And some organizations set up differently, right? The last mm-hmm. thing we want is, is um, set up a defined structure or oh, you have to do this before you do that, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a sequence of things from a research process perspective that you should do b- once before the other, right? But in largely saying so from an ops perspective, how do, how do you get started is there's so many ways to get to go around it, right? It's finding the path of least resistance is, I would say, something I would advocate. So Bridget and I have run multiple workshops in terms of setting up research ops and how do you scale ops um, before. It's really understanding your organization, first and foremost. Like how does it actually operate and how does research ops operate within it? Yeah, and you talked about the importance of starting with building relationships and working with people, you know, when you're doing operations work. And I imagine that becomes really useful when you want to make your work visible, <laughs> having yes. people to be on that journey with you. Yeah, yeah. You, you'd be surprised. A lot of the organizations don't understand what a researcher do, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The first and biggest thing is make yourself visible, mm-hmm. right? show your value to your organization and why it's important for them to collaborate and support what your work do. So yeah. first of all, de- really define what value you bring to the org, right? And ultimately research have a lot of ROI we can talk about, but fundamentally things like 
making sure we have you know, the best insights to inform product and design on making the best decisions they can given the insights we have, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So research ops makes research possible. So start with the end. What, why does research matter? Because <laughs> if research doesn't matter, research ops doesn't matter either. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Okay. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. And you can, you can very fundamentally reference the model and how, how, why is product valuable? Why is design mm-hmm. valuable? Why is, what is, why is engineering valuable? Right. 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 How can we connect, co- connect to those value? Again, mm-hmm. that network effect. We are here to amplify those value. We are yeah. also here to de-risk the organization going down the wrong path, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So those are the value that the research team needs to make sure people understand that before they even set up operations because yeah. everything then hangs around that. Just to jump into the, the visibility piece, it almost feels like there's probably, I'm, I'm going to guess a lot here, but like almost like a life cycle to it where initially, right, like recruitment's a mess and we can't get participants to do research. We re- leave research value. Somebody, Benson, comes in, fixes recruitment and everyone in that moment, it's very visible. Like we have this issue, this person fixed yep. it for us, it's yep. great. Yep. You flash yep. forward like a couple months and everyone just kind of takes it for granted. There's some new people, we're great at recruiting. Nobody knows all the magic that goes into it. And now it's back to being invisible. Is it sort of something like that where like you have a moment where it gets recognition, but it doesn't like sustain or? JH, I love, I love that reference because we do have a research life cycle with ops in it. So I think maybe as part of this discussion, we can shine a light on that. So I think the, the, the kind of primary research life cycle kind of well-known even outside of research like you need to have a research brief um, maybe do some secondary research before you do primary research but then do it on that cycle but ultimately there's a outer track how ops manage you know support the systems this in the cycle right mm-hmm. so we've essentially the community have created a research life cycle with ops um, supporting it so mm-hmm. that's another way of showing in the life cycle when you have to shine a light at the right time mm-hmm. in the right research step for the organization to see how ops is operating and supporting, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the biggest things that's coming through at the moment is that insights are hidden, right? Mm-hmm. Where do I find the research that we did six months ago? Are we, uh, why are we doing that research again that we did last year, right? <laughs> Your research become invisible. It's stored mm-hmm. in, fa- in SharePoint. It's stored in Confluence or whatever um, you know, filing system you have, right? Mm-hmm. We've got a ton of tools coming through in our community that supports that our research repository tools, right? And setting that up needs support, setting that up needs visibility and making, we're trying to make sure that our insights are visible. That's one mm-hmm. of the hardest jobs as researchers, right? How do I keep it alive? How do I people, how to make sure that people see it and use it, mm-hmm. right? So there, it seems like there's two components to the light shining then, which is one, like making the product of the work you do visible. So in this case, insights, like that, mm-hmm. they're visible, they're findable, you can find them, right? Yes, yes. And then two, there's like, I don't know, taking some credit, like letting it be known that ops is brought to you by research ops. That's right. You all need like a little logo or something to put on your visible work, right? This yep. made possible by ops. So how do you think about those two pieces? Love that, Aaron. So, you know, Understand your company's rituals, right? Are there town halls? Are there showcases? Are there events, right? Where you can shine that light because you can show up individually, but you need an audience. Find the right platform to talk about it. Yes, you can. I'm sure there's, you know, um, company wikis or portals or intranets if you do have those, right? <laughs> but, you know, do that in Slack, in, in those community groups within the organization to connect back to the research library, the recruitment brief, 
hey, someone asks about something about incentivization, talk about it broadly, right? So I think the the work that I've done in the past, you know, um, both from setting up research teams, now, you know, leading research teams has been advocacy, right? Advocacy work for research. Um, if you're a research leader in your organization, that's your main job, right? How do you let your team shine and show their value and show their work? But also how do you as a leader show, hey, we're setting these up for the rest of the organization to do research, not just for the researchers, right? How can you help yourself, right? How can we shine a light? There's these tools and these kind of things for you to self-serve. Like we don't want to be a bottleneck, right? We want everyone to do research as well as we could, but we can provide you with training. We can make sure that you've got the right tools. We can have the templates for you to get started quickly. And we can even coach and mentor you if you need that, right? We have all these kind of infrastructure ops in place, right? For mm -hmm. the organization to do great research. Ultimately, great insights for you to make best decisions and to de-risk your product going to market. I love the role of the leader you're describing there of, you know, showcasing the impact and the work of their team and, and creating space and, you know, alignment across other functions for that work to be supported and valued. That makes sense. What happens in a case where you don't have that person and it's a smaller team? Because I'd imagine there's some awkwardness for probably some researchers and operations people to be sort of like self-promoting of like, I'm going to go out and tell everyone about all the great work I'm doing. Like, how do you see people do that, that in a way that... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, look, it, it all starts from that. Right. That's where you look at partners. Right. Look at support support people. Right. Um, talk to a GM, to a VP. Right. They have some support and, and, and value research. How can they shine a light for you? Like to mm. your point, you might not have that status in the organization. Right. But if you partner with others, like do the groundwork and you know work with that person or multiple people that you know gives you that platform. Right. Mm -hmm. Or mm -hmm or shine a light in the work that you do, that's a great start. But ultimately, to your point, JH, like it's really a big struggle. If the organization don't value research, then sometimes you got to ask why you're here, right? Well, yeah, yeah, but that's <laughs> certainly, yeah. Definitely. But what yeah. you were saying before about the frameworks feels really helpful here, right? So now you're mm -hmm. in a conversation with the design leader, probably later, right? And you're talking about the, like the research lifecycle and then being able to tag on and like, here's some of the scaffolding that we've been helping with around that or whatever. It's not like a self-promotional thing. It's a very like tactical, here's what we're doing. It's a useful framework. That person probably can then go kind of like repeat that and champion it elsewhere, right? So like, I think some of the examples the community are doing here are probably really helpful. In, in those yeah, places. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So like, they don't even have to do the work themselves. They can just reference what the community is doing. And, you know, they're talking about a community of, you know, tens of thousands of people at the moment, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So isn't this made up? <laughs> so I think that gives, uh, that's one of the reasons why the community is so important for these researchers that are in these um, organizations that doesn't really value research or ops just yet, right? It gives them some sort of backing, right? Mm -hmm. And support mm -hmm. for them to say, hey, th I didn't make this up, <laughs> right? A lot of leaders in our field have, have, set this, have, this, have set this up. So I'm here, I've been hired. Who's my hiring manager? Who's my you know, supporter, my mm -hmm. um, cheerleader mm -hmm. in, the, in the organization mm -hmm. that I, I'm doing great research for? How can they help me share some of this out, right? Right. But ultimately, I think these are just advocacy work highlighting it. You got to show it. Ultimately, the biggest way is working with designers, working with product managers, or whoever that's that's doing research review as a team. They they're using the note taking template, right? They're looking at the research repository because you set that up, right? Mm -hmm. And they'll they'll buy in because they see the value themselves because they're the one using it, 
right? I feel like the biggest work that you can do from an advocacy perspective is collaboration, right? Yes, you can talk about it so you can get, get attention and awareness of the work that you're doing, but ultimately it gets better in the organization that you're in when others are doing with you. Mm-hmm. Right. Research is a team sport because we don't have enough researchers in every organization to do everything. <laughs> yeah. How far are you trying to spread your sphere of influence or visibility within the organization? So, for example, it seems to me like first and foremost, research has to know research ops is valuable or you're not going to get too far. And then you're also talking about not just researchers, but also people who are doing research, people who you want to see doing research. What about everybody else? People not doing research in the organization. Are you worried about uh, them or do you, how do you think about who needs to know about, you know, this work we're, we're doing and, and what it's accomplishing? I think one of the other invisible connections that you guys have, we have to draw a line towards and connect to is if a product was successful being launched, right? Are people connecting to the success on what researchers did, right? It doesn't have to be the researcher, but research played a role, right? In finding the insight, identifying the opportunity, supporting, framing, and evolving, optimizing the solution, right? But even going to market, making sure we have, to, we have designed and built the right thing for our end users. We are part of the product development life, life cycle, right? If you talk about life cycles, we are part of the product development life cycle. Make sure that's, that's connected. Back to the work, right? When the team successful, the organization is successful, we, you have played a part in it. So how do you make sure that you're being recognized for it as part of the team, but also the value of research of a successful product? Sometimes a lot of people forget all the research work being done and the attention bit gets, gets seen by uh, amazing engineers. Great solution from a design. Looks awesome. And we're getting a lot of kind of revenue, great conversion rates great engagements from our product, right? Great product management. <laughs> so how do I make sure that based on all this, it's, it's what supported and helped enabled by good research? Yeah. So I'm hearing you say it's not necessarily so important to shine a light always specifically on the research ops part of the impact you saw, but the research Correct. in Self. general with research ops being an integral part of that, that this research is... Yeah. Yep. Just not happening without yeah. this yeah. ops layer to it. Yeah. So, so as long as people understand when a product manager goes away and talk to a customer, right? We, we've set up, you know, continuous discovery or, you know, their, their, their research discovery that they want to do. That just doesn't, doesn't just happen, right? That takes planning. That takes organization. That takes finance, right? To make it happen. And when it doesn't happen to your point earlier, Aaron, people complain about it. Why did that participant turn up? That wasn't the right recruit. That's off spec, right? That's when operations gets questioned. <laughs> and sometimes uh, I was, I was going to say it takes failure to get visibility. <laughs> so, and people want to solve ops problems for you then because they, they don't want to talk to another person that's off spec because it just wasted an hour of their time, right? And sometimes it takes failure to shine a light as well. When you think about, you know, how you talk about the impact and, and value of research ops, so it enables all this research to happen. Do you find that it's better if people are framing it around like speed and access, like by operationalizing these things and standardizing things, like more product managers, more people are able to do research, 
more around the impact or quality of the research. Like we've raised the bar because we have this support and the scaffolding for everyone. Is it both? Like, is there, is there one thing like when you're talking to stakeholders, is there one side that you want to kind of play up more of like the efficiency versus the impact and quality or what sort of yeah. resonates? Yeah. It again, it depends on the organization, what they value most. Go for that. Right. <laughs> First and foremost, I think I'm going to take a step further up. JH, sure. be strategic. What is your research ops goal? Why are you here? Where do you see research? And research ops be in your organization, not this next three months or even 12 months. What's your horizon two, three? Now mm -hmm. think about that and be strategic, then you have a plan. And that can change. That plan to three champion can can change, right? But that should be aligned to what your organization strategy is, your group mm -hmm. strategy. Because if you get that right, then everything you talk about aligns with other people's strategy. Mm -hmm. Right? People, mm -hmm. other people's OKRs. Mm -hmm. If they fundamentally want speed to market. Mm -hmm. then your research ops is geared towards speed to market. That resonates with people. Right. So right, when right. you talk right, about, yeah. hey, I'm here to make this faster for you, mm -hmm. to make it more time efficient for you, mm -hmm. then talk the language that they want to hear. Is but, that the type of thing you can pick up on pretty easily from like some stakeholder interviews and stuff? Like you talk to somebody and you hear an engineering yeah. leader be like, we want to do more research, but we can't fit into our, you know, our, our development cycles. And then you can be like, aha, like I... I can tell you that we can fix that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think on a relationship management perspective, absolutely do that, right? Because everyone's got a slightly different angle in terms of what they want out of research and ops. But largely speaking, there should be a, a, a way for you to access the, the group or company strategy, right? Start there. Like at a bare minimum, look at the company's annual report, right? How does you know, the cost of goods sold, right, track to your shareholders? Sometimes researchers kind of had to know where the cash flow and money lies within your organization, what's being mm -hmm. valued by mm -hmm. our shareholders in, in a big organization. That's where you could see, hey, people value this more than anything else. If research can be seen connected to that value, great. And then we can operationalize ourselves to make that happen. You mentioned this kind of big, high-level strategic sort of three-year view on why are we here, research ops. I'm mm. curious, like, what's some examples of that might look like uh, yeah, in a different um, organization? What are some different yeah, flavors so, of that? So, you know, that? we, we talked about a researcher one, but when you have researchers from, you know, really three and up, when you have, you know, 20 researchers, and I don't know big mm -hmm. organizations, like I know that there's organizations that have got 40 plus researchers, right? You really mm -hmm. have to be strategic then, right? How does mm -hmm. all these researchers mm -hmm. work together? Where are we going towards? But I would say start it when you've got about, you know, five researchers. There's, mm -hmm. You're starting to scale, right? That's where mm -hmm. I start. I start to see research scaling when you mm -hmm. have about five research and, and, and up. So mm -hmm. what that means is you got to have the plan. Um, yeah. you got to have a strategy for the group. Like what are the biggest ops stuff that you strategically need for the rest of your organization? Because you've got multiple research areas that you're supporting. How does then, do we need the research library now? Or can we do what we have and do that in the next 12 months, right? Mm -hmm. What can we make do with? right? What can we show the value most consistently within in this 12 months? But in three years time, we have to have this thing. That could be a really well-resourced research ops library. That could be an annual funding model for your recruitment panel. Do you need a recruitment panel? Do you have an in-house recruitment panel? When do you want to set that up? Those things need to be planned through strategize because they just don't happen by themselves. Creating an internal panel of, um, within your own cu customers you need to work with sales, you need to work with customer support, you need to work with uh, finance, then you need to work with legal and risk and how do you manage PII. All that stuff becomes so big that a research of one can't handle. Um, mm -hmm. you, you need a team of researchers or dedicated ops person, and we're going to talk about that, to say, hey, now we've got someone dedicated for this role and their first initial kind of 
tackling project could be the this thing, right? Could be a customer panel, could be yeah. how we recruit. Mm-hmm. That could be their first job, and unfo- unfortunately, that's probably the, most of the things that we see on our community is research ops person get brought on mostly to handle recruitment or the research ops library or to manage a panel, right? Those are probably the three big jobs when they first start up to do that. How do you square or advise people to like, you know, okay, you're doing this higher level strategic work. You've kind of laid out some of these opportunities and, and priorities and sequenced them a little bit, right? Kind of made a roadmap of sorts. So you're kind of thinking bigger picture, but then there's all these like probably immediate day-to-day things that need to get done that are yep. like a little bit smaller in scale. And you can have like impact just through iter- iterative work, right? Of like, yep. We cleaned up Great. the note template. We did this, yep. we did that. It feels like you probably need both, right? Like you need some of the, the day-to-day impact. Like how do you make sure that people don't get too fixated on like the big shiny objects and like, you know, lose track of some of the, the smaller stuff that has impact like more immediately? Uh, great, great question. So ultimately we, we go with whatever your or cadence of planning and prioritization comes down to. So for example, I'll, I'll just use my, my organization at RA Group. So we've got OKRs, right, for the year. So, and, and the OKRs comes from, you know, there are network effects of OKRs. So that group have those OKRs, that group have those OKRs. So the research team that, that I'm managing sits within design. So design's got OKRs, right? But we also want to make sure that the research team have OKRs and one of those OKRs is ops. Like how do we make sure that we have efficient operations within the organization? And how do I break that down? So I break that down by key results. How does that make sense, right? Can we have a research library where people can reliably access insights as one of the chaos that we have, right? That's probably always on. So we have to then make sure that all the initiatives that we have to have that key result, like let's just say 80% of all research get accessed from a research library. We then make sure that all research is put into the library, let alone then we direct people to the library to make sure they can self-serve. And we make sure that's easy to use for any, anyone that wants to access our previous insights. I'm just making a very um, clear example mm-hmm. there on the daily basis. So when I talk to my researcher, we planned on a fortnightly basis. Have we done that? Any, anything else we can optimize? Hey, that research was that inputted back into your stored now into the research library. Have we also shown a lot on the, the monthly research that we've done? finding ways of getting people to really enrich our research library so that people know that it's a really great source of value. So that's one example. Might be just a little bit of a tangent, but something Jayesh and I were actually talking about recently. So I'm curious, you mentioned, you know, kind of tapping into the existing OKRs of the teams you work with and sit in. And so there's, there's a couple ways to get insights, right? There's primary, secondary, you go do new research or you use existing research, hence some of the benefit of the insights library. How do you, I guess, setting learning goals is tricky. Like, did you learn something? You just like pull everyone in the company. Did you learn something? Did you make a good decision? What was the, you know, the output of that decision? But how do you think balancing, particularly as your organization grows and you have more existing insights, the uh, importance you put on sort of organizing those existing insights and trying to get people to tap into those before going and doing new research versus going and doing new research and where do we need to spend our time as an ops function across, you know, recruiting and all this active new research stuff versus making the most out of all the research that's been done in the past. Do you sort of follow the lead of the research and design teams or do you have a point of view on how that needs to shift Again, with it, the work? It's, yeah. That's a really good question. Like this is the thing that we tackle daily, Aaron. So yeah. one of the challenges is like, is that fire burning? Right, we need to fix that recruitment because we're getting inconsistent, or I would say 
a standard that's below par from our participants. Like that's something mm. that we're working on right now is that mm. the maybe it's coming to Christmas, people are coming in or dropping out without attending or whatever the case is. Mm. So mm-hmm. is there a way for us to reduce the dropout rate for sessions? There's always issues in ops that we need to tackle that is at the forefront on us doing our research well. So that's priority one. Is, are there things on fire, right? Are there things we yep. need to focus on to get right because that's not working today? Then those are the, then then there are things that it depends. And we're working in an organization now. We've got uh, f- eight researchers. They're essentially business partners in those product verticals. You've got financial services. You've got um, you know residential products, rental products, commercial property. So we work in a, in a, essentially a, a property tech um, organization, right? Mm-hmm. So they've got lots of products, lots of different things. You might have, you know, how do we ensure that, that we have access to real estate agent professionals? That's always a big thing that we have, and we've got a customer panel for that. But how do we make sure that we enrich it? How do the, the, our customers find value being on the panel? How do we give back, right? Are there insights we give back to our, our customers so that they, they want to be on the panel instead of us trying to reduce churn off the panel and, you know, to build that up. So those are all the things that we do on a daily basis and it depends on which area needs what. And we might have multiple panels and hey, that archetype needs uh, reworking. Hey, we've got another benchmark that we have to do. So I think those are the things that we have to manage on a daily basis. And unfortunately, the best answer I give you, it depends what your organizational needs are and then go from there. Nice. Yeah, it always it always it depends in product and research. A question I, I realized seems an obvious one to ask is when you talk about you know showcasing impact and you talk about operations, it feels like metrics is maybe a way of doing that, right? Like I think if you think about DevOps, people are going to talk about uptime or speed to deploy or number of deployments or whatever, and you'd show that the system's working. Has there been any sort of standardization on the, like the research ops side of as the community's matured? Like these are good metrics to point to to show you know the efficiency or the impact that you're driving. Yeah, yeah. It's something that we're tackling from um, how fast can we do research? And again, it depends. Um, you know, one of the things mm-hmm. that we're trying to educate our, our teams is that it depends on the research type that you're doing. How do you then share the level of methodology? People don't really care about methodology of research uh, a lot of the times. They just want to know the insight really quickly. But sometimes you just can't make that up. <laughs> sometimes it might take three months, right? So that educational process on showing metric values are different in an engineering perspective or marketing perspective or, you know, an e-com perspective, you can have re- really detailed product analytics, right? Right. The analytics we have is, hey, how many people have access to their insights in our library? That's a good analytic, right? That means that we have saved the company another research piece, right? Potentially. If that project was kicked off based all purely based on secondary research that we have done in the last two years, we have, we've saved the company another research project. But also, if they do want to kind of have a nuance, hey, there's a small gap here. All the secondary research is great. But we noticed there's a slight um, you know, opportunity to do a bit more deeper research. Great. So we are saving the time from doing three rounds of research, going straight to the nuance, more targeted research. We also should shine a light on, hey, speed to research, speed to insight is because it's backed by uh, overwhelming value of knowledge that we've built up. Because we talked about early on, why are we doing the same research six months later, <laughs> all right, right? In a different part of the organization. Let's save the organization time and money and reuse that and focus on the nuances and other kind of deeper stuff if we want to. It seems like, you know, part of the art here is knowing when to, when to be visible, when not to be visible. <laughs> so in that spirit, 
what are some anti tips in terms of research ops, you know, visibility in terms of when do you not want to be visible or what are some bad ways to go so about many. trying to yeah. be visible? So many. Look, I've done yeah. a lot of this myself. Like when, you know, early on in my career, when I was really passionate about making sure that research, you know, works really well, is you've got to hit a lot of brick walls. <laughs> You're going to hit a lot of brick walls. People don't care, or it's a tough conversation that they don't understand and see the value of research ops. Don't get emotional. Like, don't react to it. I feel like that's something, it's an anti, just doesn't go for, doesn't work for you. And it's frustrating, I, I know, because I think many people have been through that um, cycle. But it's important to keep your head and be strategic about it. See it as a long, you know, See it as a long-term goal. It's a long play, right? The long tail. I think that's my advice from a bad ways of making ops visible is like when you're trying to break through a brick wall, you're going to be, what's the word? Hard to work with. And that only puts you back a few more steps than you think you're moving forward because people find you hard to work with. You keep pushing pushing an agenda they don't see value for. Not right, right there. Another one is um, asking for the world without evidence. Like, hey, I need a research library right now. All right? Why? Right. Right. You haven't built a business case, right? You haven't showed the value. You haven't established why you need that kind of recruitment process in place. Another way of adding more steps to getting research done. When you're a startup, you're short on time and money. And people say, hey, why do you want to add another step in this thing? You're trying to convince people, but without the right reasoning, you're making it hard for people to understand. So make sure you get support from others to shape your business case, like not just yourself, but others to help mm -hmm. you shape it. And just don't be the kind of the lone ranger, be the only one shouting from the mountains because right. they just think you're crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 Don't come in too hot. And, no, uh, no, don't yeah. come in too hot. Make some friends. Make some friends. Have Make it almost like a, a collaboration kind of um, pitch, right? Instead of mm -hmm. you pitching by yourself. It feels lonely sometimes, though, right? Especially if you're yeah. in your research of one. Then one more is the bad anti ways of doing this is giving up too early. But I've heard so many stories in the community as well, right? They try to set up ops, try to make it visible, but they're not getting traction after six months. What do I bother? Um, and then things becomes more painful because that's not set up. It takes patience. patience. It also takes time. Um, and, you know, pick your battles. Like I said earlier before, like where are the things that of least resistance? Um, it might take you six steps to get to the first step. But sometimes that might be the easiest, least frustrating way. And I would say, take the time. Go to community, share, share your challenges. Are there a different angle, perspective you haven't thought about? Bounce ideas with others. Get mentorship, I would mm -hmm. say, to support mm -hmm. that if you feel like you're wanting to give up. So yeah. I think that's an entity. Like you've tried so hard by yourself, but where else can you get support? Don't always look internally. Can You can mm -hmm. look externally for it. The thing you hear commonly, like with change management is, you know, working with stakeholders is you're changing processes or making adjustments, like frame it as an experiment. Like, hey, I think there's a better way for us to do recruitment or do note taking. Let's take the next six to eight weeks and, and try this out, see how it goes. We can reflect on it. Like, does that apply here too? Like, instead of trying to sell people like silver bullets of like, I have the perfect way to do this. And then maybe it doesn't work. Like, is, is that Absolutely. kind of framing useful? Absolutely, JH. I, I think that's that's a beautiful way to put it, right? People love experimentation. You can you should experimentate, experiment with ops. Try out processes that may work and may not work for your organization. So, like you could, I'm sure you can find sequential steps online on how to do X in research jobs, but that might not work for you. So, try it out, shape it up, like drop steps if, because you find it too hard, and see what works for you. 
right? A research library could start in Excel if you wanted to, right? It doesn't have to have a purchase product with SSO set up and everything. It, just make sure you store it in a, in a safe space and just start with that, right? It, yeah. it could be just as simple as that. It depends how much experimentation you make and see what sticks. I think that's a great angle, like experiment with and see what sticks, what resonates with your designer and your program manager and, and start with that. This is a, a little bit of a different question, but I'm just curious because it feels like research ops has evolved so much over the last handful of years from, you know, kind of a more nascent thing you'd hear a little bit of to being much more kind of mainstream to having this huge community around it. If you look ahead a few years, like where do you think research ops is going? Like, how do you think that will mature over the next like three to five years? It's a great question. I'm not sure. I, I think there's, <laughs> there's a number of pathways that you can go to. I think research ops as a profession needs a lot more maturity. I feel like researchers are just trying to do ops themselves at the moment. There is a growing community of research ops professionals, but we're probably a follower of, you know, design ops program managers. Uh, we're not there yet in terms of um, framing up what our core responsibilities are and how do we start to kind of connect with, with um, a program of work from an operational perspective. I think we're getting there. We're establishing a lot of those key programs within a research org. And we don't have, not too many organizations have a whole team of re-ops re people. Like how does that, how would that work? Because the reference I would make is design ops and design program managers, and they might have 20 design program managers at, let's just say, Capital One. That's a very different scale to one DPM in a small organization. So uh, I would love to see what that would look like from a research ops perspective. Uh, what would those things look like in a bigger, larger scale ops, or ops team for research? Would it be similar? Or would it be different? Because we do obviously have very different needs from design versus research. Do you, as people move into research ops roles full-time, like do it as a profession, as you called out, do you mm. think more of those people will be coming from like a research background or coming more from an operations background? I would say a bit of both. And I think it's a healthy thing because you need kind of a diversity of, of site, of, of, um, of perspectives. You could have a, a DPM that has done design program management before going to research ops because maybe that's an angle they, they like doing mm. that would be really valuable because they've done program of work before. How do you train researchers, right? The skill career letter for researchers. That's an ops thing that people don't even talk about. When you've got, you know, 40 plus researchers, you're going to need training your researchers. And there's so many different aspects of research, right? Do you want researchers that know data science? Do you want researchers that have a really amazing mixed methods approach on how to do research, right? In order for, for that to happen, you've got to have training programs in place, right? So I'm thinking, of, because I'm making, I'm drawing a very clear line here. That's what DPMs do for design. You've got to have motion design. You've got to have a great brand design. How many type of designers have you got? How do you make sure you've got the right balance of craft? Then you've got principal roles, staff roles, and all that stuff. So I think career laddering in research and research ops is a big thing that we need we continue to talking about because it's still, I would say, behind design. On that note, how did you find your way into research apps? Well, my background's design, and I built up design teams and ended up um, needing research because we don't have a research team, right? In one of the past roles that I was working in. In building up a research team, you have to do ops. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, building a team of one to building a team of 13 researchers are very different. So you could see, I could see how ops come into play, like I said before, when you have three, four, five researchers. And then it gets really big when you have, you know, more than 10 researchers and so forth. And then you have to have ops. And unfortunately, a lot of ops in, in product, in design and research, most of the ops land on people leaders. Right. Right. Because they're setting up the capability. 
they're setting up the team for success and they're responsible for the career paths. They're responsible for making sure they have the right tools in place. They're um, setting up, they have a way to manage their performance. That's mm -hmm. all operational. A lot of times it starts at the leader. They, they're the ones who set the budget, right? Right. Well, and the coordination between the people on the team. There's so yeah, much of that. Yeah. Too. So, so, you know, I had to do that because of the leadership role I've, I was, I was, you know, previously, you know, put in that place, which I, I love doing, but it's also important to know that some of these roles shouldn't be leadership, leader responsible roles, right? It should be mm -hmm. a dedicated role to make sure that this gets done. So you became the thing you needed in your previous job twice. Multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah. I actually do have, I want to go back to one point. Maybe you can edit this. And, and, and um, So JH, you, we talked about the metrics mm -hmm. from a research value perspective. Another angle that I would say ha has hard numbers is thinking about risk and opportunity and the ratios that you, we, we, we get it. So I think the recent opportunity, you can angle it towards tied to NPS, tied to your consumer set or whichever metric that your organization has. Research should have a direct connection to those metrics. Have we improved consumer set because we fixed a pain point? We have I've identified pain points for the organization to fix. That should lift NPS and or consumer set or customer set. That's a really direct way on hitting the organizational me metrics. Right. Another one is programmatically have usability testing or um, or benchmarking in place to monitor and and optimize experiences, and that also have a direct way on, on improving company targets with those metrics. So your metrics should be company's most important metric, like NPS or consumer set or customer set. Nice. Yeah, I like I like that connection as well. I think I mean there's been a through line for sure. A lot of the I think ways you've talked about this is you need to connect mm -hmm. research and research ops to other things in the company so that it's yeah. easy for people to internalize why why and how it's valuable. So it yep. makes a lot of sense. Yep. yep. All right. Parting thoughts, final words to leave folks with in terms of, you know, whether you're a research ops person or a researcher or someone with some interests and for whatever reason making research ops more visible. Last thoughts on? I think it's sometimes hard when you try to do this, try to make something invisible visible. One of the things I was just literally talking about with my, my peers is that we do all this work and no one, no one sees it. Mm -hmm. It can be disheartening sometimes, but people don't see it. But as long as you know you're doing good work for the organization, your partners that you work with, find a way to make sure that value gets realized and being understood. And the rewards will come because people start recognizing that all the hard work you do that was invisible, that becomes visible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is very relevant to anyone in any kind of ops role, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 In any kind of ops role. Don't be disheartened. I, I think the main thing, uh, my advice is be patient, find a way to connect, like I said before, to more important things that your, your team or your organizational values are and connect to it and people will start seeing it. Because if, if I think one of the things that people start seeing is when you don't, they don't have it. Well, yeah. we see you ops people and <laughs> we see you too, Benson. Thanks for uh, joining. We appreciate you. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, JH. Yeah, thanks.